The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at www.upc.org forward slash university. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 47th and 16th in Seattle's U District. Thanks for coming tonight. My name's Ryan. I'm thrilled that you have chosen to join us as we creep towards the middle of the quarter. Uh, I know for sure that you are here because at the very least you are curious about exploring who Jesus is. And there's others here that want uh, to grow in who they know Jesus uh, to be. And an opportunity for wherever you may be that costs you no money at all is this thing that we have going upcoming called the 206 in the 206. I was going to try and flash a sign at you, but when I tried to practice it, I almost threw my rotator cuff out, so I don't want to do that. 206 hours of prayer right here in the 206, and we're inviting all hands on deck. We need all of you to make this happen. It's going to be starting next week. You can sign up for this tonight. And here's what I know to be absolutely true. That is, I meet with college students often one of the things that I will do in trying to start the conversation is I'll I'll just ask people, hey, how's your soul? And that's exactly how I say it, by the way. And it's funny that, that when I ask that question, often the response that first comes out from people is, well... I should probably read my Bible a little bit more, and I I just don't feel like I'm praying enough. Well, here is an opportunity for you to work on that discipline of prayer. I'm almost sure that everybody in here, if I were to come and ask you, do you feel like you pray enough? You would say no, and in fact, I would like to pray more. This is a great opportunity for you to make that a discipline. Dare I say we are not going to grow in who we know Jesus to be unless we are praying Uh, regularly and with a degree of discipline. I would even throw it out there right now. Do you have somebody in your life that you pray for on a regular basis? Uh, This is an opportunity to simply practice that. Don't feel bad if you you answer that question no. So, after the end, 206, right here in the 206, sign up tonight. There's 206 spots available. By the way, You don't have to sign up individually if you want to go in there with your core group. If there's people that you like to pray with, maybe a prayer group. Hey, go in there. Have yourself a little worship service. Go nuts. Seize the day and pray. All right. I asked about things that you like to smack talk about. But do you know any other big talkers? Perhaps people endowed with this gift of hyperbole or exaggeration. Maybe you call them liars. I don't know. And perhaps some of you are thinking, yeah, I know somebody like that, VR, and it's you. <laughs> now, actually, I'm not, that, I'm not that bad. I try to reserve superlatives for when the situation really demands a su- superlative. But my former colleague here at the end, a guy that many of you may know, this dude named Nolan Giesbers, <laughs> he had this gift of hyperbole. Every, he'd come back from lunch every time he'd be like, oh my gosh, that was pretty much the best pizza I've ever had. You, you know, church, church, dude, we're going to have a thousand people going on deputation this year. You know, the type of guy that everything he said, you had to divide by 12. And then you're like, okay, so Nolan would come in and I'd listen to what he'd have to say. I'd divide by 12. And then I know what he really said, right? The gift of hyperbole. I remember coming into a lunchroom conversation when I was an undergrad the house I lived here on 17th, and, and guys were discussing other guys in the house and trying to figure out what you have to divide by to really get 
to what the truth of some story or statement might be. Hey, people might have that conversation about you too. What's the factor that people have to divide by anytime you tell a story? Well, when you talk big, of course, you have the burden of walking big. And walking big, when you've talked big, presents an interesting challenge as our good friends from the office, Michael Scott, Dwight Schrute, and Andy Bernard, discover. Take a look at this. So tonight what we're going to look at is what I would say is arguably the finest piece of parkour in scripture. A guy that, it's this image of a big talker trying to be a big walker and do a gator into the water, whatever it was that Andy was trying to do there in that last scene. Uh, Before we continue uh, with our look at parkour tonight, let me uh, pray for us. Lord, we do pray that as we come, you would keep us focused by your spirit and that you would open up this scripture tonight, that it might meet us where we are at, that you would be real to us, Lord, as we read from your word. Uh, So Lord, in your mercy, have your way in us individually and as a community. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, now that I've, I've primed the pump here with a little big talking followed by some big walking, let me tell you what this series is really about. This is a series that's actually intended to be almost the opposite of what I've just primed the pump with, and that's this type of biblical vulnerability. Now, the temptation for all of you in here is to think that when we're talking about strength and weakness, as we have for the first three weeks of this quarter, that you think I'm talking to someone else. Now, while myself and some of the other voices that you get to hear at the end every week, we try to craft a message for as many people as possible, knowing that probably some weeks we miss some people. I'm convinced That what this scripture says to us tonight actually speaks to every single one of us in this room. So one of our, as as we come to to do this, keep in mind that what we're trying to lean in towards as we look at strength and weakness is this type of vulnerability. And my hope is that in the end, If we put this into practice, that we each might have a more real experience of who Jesus is. That we might pull Jesus and what we believe about God out of the theoretical and see how it really matters and could impact our lives. So listen up for what God has for you in this scripture tonight. Now, we get to come to one of my favorite pieces of scripture in all the Bible. Sunday schools have made this passage famous with flannel graphs and cutouts. So, of course, it's the story of Jesus and Peter walking on water in Matthew 14. Very famous passage of scripture. Those of you that grew up in the church or in Sunday school, are, I'm sure, are very familiar with it. But as we read this story tonight, instead of thinking about flannel graphs, what I'd like you to do is to pay special attention to the characters of the story. In your mind's eye as we read this, who is the spotlight on? And you can even allow it to change uh, throughout this reading. So uh, hear these words from Matthew chapter 14, and we're going to begin at the 22nd verse. It says this, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat 
and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd that had just been fed. This is right after the feeding of the 5,000. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Where did your focus on characters go in this story? For me, it starts with the disciples, then goes, uh, gravitates towards this ghost that we find out is Jesus. Then, of course, the spotlight goes on to Peter, then back on to Jesus, and then, of course, to the disciples. So as we break this down tonight, I want to hone in on, on the places where that spotlight may have landed tonight. So let's look at the first one. Let's begin with Peter. Remember that the disciples are in the middle of a lake when they see what Matthew reports is something that looks like a ghost coming at them on the water. Now this is where a chance where we get to see that Peter is a notoriously big talker as you will see in other parts of Matthew and in fact throughout all of the Gospels. Peter tends to to shoot his mouth off a little bit. Now, I find Peter's response to testing a ghost to be rather fascinating. This response that, that kind of says, hey, ghost, who might be Jesus, if it's you, call me out of the boat. I get this image that Peter is among the group of disciples in the boat that really they have no idea what to do. And my guess, it certainly if I was one of those guys, I would be doing whatever I could to try and make the ghost go away. So Peter's choice of engaging this ghost, I find to be something rather interesting. It's almost like he's trying to stump the ghost, like with the giving him the command that might, that might freeze the ghost most. Hey, ghost, if it's you, the Lord, call me out of the boat. It's Peter's way of trying to tell the ghost, don't make me come out there. You make me come out there on that water, I'm going to throw a little beat down on you. But then the ghost, of course, turns out to be Jesus, who then says, okay, come, game on. Do some of your parkour there, Peter, (laughs) hopping out of the boat. And Peter's probably thinking, okay, I've talked big to the ghost. The ghost has called me out. And now am I going to not do anything here in front of my friends? So Peter steps out and does something that perhaps no other human has done. Perhaps those of you that have wakeboarded or water skied have, 
have just a, a taste of what Peter may have experienced there. Peter walks on water without holding a rope. Wow. What an amazing experience. But keep in mind, this is not Peter's response to knowing what to do, to having it all together or to being strong. This is a response to Peter's weakness, to his uncertainty, to not knowing what to do in this situation. Remember, the boat told us, or the the text told us that the boat was buffeted by waves. So we know that this is Peter's response to feeling helpless, to feeling weak. So what do you do in that type of weakness? What do you do when you don't know what to do? All of of these jokes and, and my speculations aside, what Peter does is ask. What Peter does is ask the Lord. He specifically asks to be called into something that is deep and mysterious and chaotic. And that's one of the things that I think will, will help your understanding of what Peter's asking for here. That to the first century Jewish man, to be out on the water and to be in a boat, yeah, probably pretty comfortable. But to be called onto the water, the, the way that they believed about this, the water and the sea and this lake would be, this is, this is everything that is stronger than I am. It's mysterious and chaotic and uncontrollable. And Peter's saying, call me out of this place of safety into that Which makes me look really, really weak. Let's make this, let's get this beyond a Sunday school story. What Peter has asked for is something that is unlike anything you would ever want to really ask for. What do you ask the Lord for in weakness and uncertainty? In my own life, and I know in those conversations that I shared with you about earlier that I have with college students, what we usually ask Jesus for is strength. What we usually ask Jesus for is certainty. At the very least, do we ever ask for Jesus to call us out of certainty? We pray that Jesus would make it clear. We pray for an answer. We pray for a particular job or relationship that we want. But Peter doesn't ask for safety or certainty. He asks for risk. He asked to come toward Jesus. He asked to be where Jesus is at. Peter asks for a risk. Here is what I want you to hear. There's a difference between being risky and being reckless. Notice that when Peter saw the ghost, he didn't just up and jump out of the water and get into this rowdy, on-top-of-the-water parkour. Rather, he asked, he listened, he asked, he waited, and he listened. The fact that it was Jesus saying, come. I think is what keeps this from being reckless, but still puts it in the category of risky. The way that we can take risks without being reckless is to ask the Lord to wait and to listen, 
Take big risks. And you can do so without being reckless. Challenge yourself. In uncertainty, in all that you are, weaknesses included, ask the Lord for risk. Wait and listen. And hear how the Lord is calling you to himself. Now let's begin to transition this spotlight that we've been talking about from Peter onto Jesus. Peter has asked, waited, listened, and now it's his turn to act. He's walking on water until he begins to look around. I wonder if, if what's happening is that he's looking around at his buddies. You know, he's talked big to make sure they're watching, make sure they've got the, the webcam going so that they can get this thing loaded up on YouTube, see what's going on. To make sure that they were seeing the big, no, the big moment. And then all of a sudden Peter notices that, wait a minute, these conditions are not the most favorable. The boat was being buffeted by waves. This is mysterious and chaotic. These conditions are not favorable. And as he makes this recognition, the situation begins to change. And the next thing that we know, Peter is sinking and asking the Lord to save him. And immediately Jesus reaches out his hand. And it's followed by a rebuke. Followed by a rebuke that says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, I find that last line in, in, in this rebuke very interesting. What was it that Peter had faith in? And what was it that he doubted? I think this is a trap that we often fall into. Our faith is not in the Lord, but the conditions around us. Is that you? Is your faith in Jesus or is your faith in having the ideal conditions around you? For those of you that were here fall quarter, when we did a series on faith and doubt, we really tried to engage this whole idea of not allowing our circumstances and conditions to be the object of our faith, but rather to let Jesus be the object of our our faith. I think Peter, in this story, was guilty of putting his faith in himself and some, some circumstances. Very often, what happens from a practical perspective is that we put way more faith in those circumstances. Why? Because that doesn't require any faith at all. We can just look around and see what's going on. Faith in the circumstances is not faith at all. The power of positive thinking can only take you so far. But what happens when the conditions change? Then what? That's when the focus of this story finds Jesus. You see, Matthew wants us to see that Jesus is able to transcend the circumstances. It is in Peter's weakness that Jesus becomes really clear to him. That Peter has the opportunity to really understand what Jesus is all about. And what does Peter discover? Peter discovers that Jesus is one who saves and that is absolutely real to him in that moment. It is in Peter's failure. Imagine that. The success 
of stepping out of the boat and walking on water, doing what somebody else has never done. And then the next moment you're sinking, you failed. But it is in that moment that Peter ends up in exactly the place that you want to be. In the arms of the Lord. I recall when I was, I must have been five or six. I was at a family reunion. We were at, a, at my dad's house. It was a house that he just bought. So all my cousins and aunts and uncles were in the town. There was this critical mass of people. I was pretty stoked up on the whole thing. And even at that age, I think I was a pretty competitive little guy. And I wanted to make sure that I was going to beat all of my cousins and aunts and uncles into the swimming pool. So I went running and jumping into this pool. But there was one big problem. I forgot my water wings. And I didn't know how to swim. Okay, water wings, I know, you guys are probably, water wings are those things that you, you put around your, your forearms, kind of like that little dude. I know, you guys are probably bewildered by the fact, going, wait a minute, church's arms were, were small enough at some point for water wings to fit? So I go running and jumping into the pool without my water wings. And it was at that moment that, that my, my old man, fully clothed, goes in the water. You know, every, you know, he comes in and, and saves me. Of course, you know, I'm like, hey, dad, what's going on? You know, this, this is pretty sweet. Now, that, the thing that is probably most clear about that whole story to me, the reminder of, of the sacrifice that my dad made to jump in and save me from my water wingless guffaw was, I, I, I still have this image of all of my dad's uh, stuff like his his wallet, his money, his sweater all lined up on the, the banister drying after he had to jump in and save me. Obviously for me, there was, there was something that, that was huge, that was, that was real about that moment for my dad and I. It was in Peter's failure that he ended up not in the boat, Not on top of the water, but in the arms of the Lord. As you look at this story, as you were thinking about it, where's the place that that you would find yourself? Is it in the boat? Is it on top of the water? Is it the arms of the Lord? In that moment, Jesus becomes real to Peter. But here's what I want you to to catch that not only was Jesus real for Peter in that moment but what did it lead everybody else in the boat to as all the other guys as they're watching this scene play out and and seeing what happens as they see Peter fail as Peter's weaknesses become as clear as they've ever been what is their response Truly, this is the Son of God. They worshipped Him. Isn't it amazing that in Peter's great failure, not his successes, that's when it shows people who Jesus really is. Doesn't this really challenge the way that we live out most of our lives? 
Doesn't this challenge the way that we think of the faith? That what this shows us is that it's not about getting your theology straightened out. It's not about reading the right books. It's not about doing everything right. As a matter of fact, it's about getting out there and maybe letting others see you fail. Because when they see that, they see the strength of Jesus. They see who Jesus really is. Jesus becomes not only real for Peter, but Jesus as Savior becomes real to 11 other people in the boat. Truly, in Peter's failure, we see the strength of Jesus. This is the Son of God. So the question before us tonight is, what does your life show others? What does your success show others? What does your failure show others? And I want to challenge any notion of us looking for the safest place for us to stay. Even as you, you reflect right now, what's the, what's the perceived place of safety for you? Is it your major? Is it the plans you've made for yourself? Perhaps it's a particular relationship. What's the place where you find yourself comfortable in the boat and not having to do a whole bunch? The place where you can remain and feel strong. The place where you might be able to feel like you can dominate. Let's allow this scripture to challenge us tonight into maybe doing something that might lead us to fail. That the glory of who God revealed in Jesus is might shine. Is it in our failure that we most discover what it means to be salt and light? Friends, this is an invitation to eliminate the conditional from your life. If you ever thought that the journey of faith is boring, if, if following Jesus is stagnant, allow this to challenge every notion of that. Allow any notion in your life of, well, I should do this, I could do this, if this happened, I would do this, to be blown up. This is an invitation to eliminate woulda, coulda, shoulda. And to follow Jesus. Eliminate the conditional. Friends, the journey with Christ is dynamic. And it's risky. It can be even scary. So tonight, if you dare, pray for some spiritual parkour. To lean into the weaknesses that will make Jesus real, not only to you, But to those watching, take a risk and have some fun doing it and reach out to Jesus because he'll reach out to you. God is faithful. Let's pray. Lord, help us overcome the fear of our weaknesses. Help us overcome the fear of failure. That we might move in such a way that your strength would be revealed. Uh, So, Lord, in your mercy, move us, call us out as we ask, wait, and listen. Lord, empower us by your spirit to walk towards you.
That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.